great to be with you this morning. I'm grateful for the privilege of having the chance to share with you the Word of God. Ruthie and I are grateful for 40 plus years of support and encouragement from the church. And uh, um, it, yeah, it's amazing how quickly time goes by. Um, I want to welcome those up in the balcony. I used to be a regular up in the balcony when I went to school here. And, uh, but I was thinking as, as I was preparing about the impact that the Houghton community had on my life. I was only here back in the States for second grade and seventh grade. Not a lot of time off the mission field in Haiti. But the impact on my life in just those few years was significant, and of course, while I was in college. For my seventh grade year, there was a youth pastor called Larry Mealy. And for whatever reason, he had a huge impact on my life. I remember him taking us to see the Pittsburgh Pirates play. I didn't know what baseball was, but he took us down there. And I remember getting baptized that year at a little Baptist church over, I don't know, if, not a baptismal here, but a little Baptist church over there. And that was significant in my life. I went back to Haiti prepared spiritually for the high school years. It was a huge impact. But also the community had an impact on my life. I remember a professor who lived way up the, one of these roads and uh, this boy, myself, had this paper route and it was, it was he, he looked out the door and he saw this frozen boy on the doorstep and I must have looked horrible or whatever but he said come on in son you need some hot chocolate and sit by the fire for a minute I think he kept me from freezing to death um, it was it was Professor Cummings and lived way up there um, yeah the impact you know that it had on my life to just see people that loved and cared in a community was was huge was huge it spoke more loudly than, than even the messages. But I want to share today about being an ambassador for Christ. And first, my brother William is here from Liberia, ex-national team player, professional player. He's been in the States now for a number of years. I just asked William if you'd stand up and just pray for the word, pray for me as well, before we start. Yes. In 1985, I took a short-term soccer missions trip to Europe, and in Vienna, an OM missionary called Johann von Damm shared a devotional with us. 
He said, you know, you guys come over here for two weeks, three weeks. You do wonderful work. You share the gospel in places that the gospel's never been preached before. But you've got one problem. What's that problem? He said, you only come with round-trip tickets. He said, God called Abraham with a one-way ticket. You guys need to be like Abraham. Come with a one-way ticket. That stuck in my heart. I could not get that out of my heart and mind for, for years. That, that vision, that call to take a team to Europe to do ministry on, on a regular basis, full-time basis. Two years later, we were recruiting a team to go to Europe, and a young man flew out with his father to California. We met at a little diner in La Habra, and the father and the son said, yes, he's, he's going to join, he's excited. He went back east. A few months later, I got a letter from him. In the letter, he said, my plans have kind of changed, but not totally. I, I'm, I'm going to start a business, and in three years, my business will support me, and I'll come over self-supported to be with you guys. I'll join you. Ten years later, I was standing in Northeast Ohio at a summer soccer camp with about 330 kids out there, just dismissed them from the morning assembly, and somebody came and stood next to me. I was just looking at the kids, and I became aware of it, and I, I kind of looked over. It was him. I hadn't seen him in like 10 years. I said, what are you doing here? He said, oh, we bring our kids up from Carolina every year for the camp. We think this camp is, 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 is just awesome. He, he said, it's amazing to see how many kids are out here, and the kids are actually playing soccer, having fun, and memorizing the Word of God. And then he stopped. He said, John... I should have been doing this. Two years later, sadly, I got a phone call that he had suddenly passed away. When we don't pursue God's direction for our life, we don't experience God's purpose for our life. And we know that God's purpose is to bring him glory. We're going to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5. If you got your Bibles, it's just a short passage. We're going to look at this passage. But the question is, how are you representing Christ where you are? As his ambassador, where he has placed you? 2 Corinthians 5.20 is our ministry verse. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Paul was on his third missionary journey when he wrote to the church in Corinth. This is an older, more experienced Paul, who's now writing this letter, calling himself an ambassador for Christ. This is a Paul who's been through a lot, and it's taught him to be more patient, compassionate, and caring for others. This is a Paul who realizes that at times people need Someone to listen to them, even though they have all the answers already. Paul said, follow me even as I follow Christ. In the verses we just read, it says, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Paul knew that it was only while remaining in Christ that we can remain his ambassadors. But what made Paul an ambassador for Christ? What makes us ambassadors for Christ today? What are some of the things that identify us as Christ's ambassadors? 
it's important that an ambassador for Christ is called and committed. Remember, Paul's name was Saul, as he was called, and he was headed for Damascus to kill Christians. And Jesus met him on the road to Damascus and said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Saul unknowingly was fighting against God. He was fighting for the wrong side. And he saw bright light and heard the voice of Jesus. It blinded him, and it was some time before he was restored. But Paul had no doubt about his calling. In 1978, a man called Tim Conrad came to Houghton to recruit for a short-term summer soccer missions trip. I thought, wow, soccer? I grew up with soccer over here and God over here. Missionaries didn't want soccer on the property. They didn't want, they didn't want us playing soccer because soccer was, had bad connotations. Well, I signed up, and of all places, the Lord took me on that trip back to Haiti. Nothing by accident. Where I was born, where I grew up, and of course, where I was very nervous because I knew that I was the one person on the team that spoke Creole. Sure enough, hey John, we're playing in Jacques Mel today, a small town on the coast. Tim said, John, I want you to step up the mic at halftime and share your story with the people here. Probably about 3,000 people surrounding the field. There was no stadium. The kids who couldn't see because the adults were in the way were up in the trees. It was quite, quite the picture. And I was nervous. I was nervous because I really hadn't publicly spoken like that about Christ and my relationship with him. Romans 10 says, If you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. As Scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. My faith had been in my heart. I had believed. But I was not yet an ambassador for Christ. Looking back, I believe that that, that day in Jacmel was the day that God put a call in my life for soccer ministry. I proclaimed with my mouth that day what I already believed in my heart. Paul's experience is not my experience. My experience is not your experience. And yet God does call us to be committed ambassadors for Christ. It's easy to think that an ambassador is dependent, being an ambassador is is dependent on being a formal education or our gifting or being an ambassador for Christ is is about being a missionary or a pastor or being in a faraway place not the case he wants his ambassadors serving everywhere and in every field where the gospel needs to be heard that includes Allegheny County it's counterintuitive but some of the most difficult places to communicate the gospel are not the places that are out there. We have work in outer Mongolia. I don't know how many of you have been to Ulaanbaatar, but Genghis Khan Airport, um, it's, it's, it's 
yeah, it's, but it can be more difficult in your backyard to share the gospel and to deliver the message than it can out there. You may be thinking you were, you've been called initially, but now you're in transition. You're about to take a different step. You've got an important decision to make. Jeremiah 29, 13, the Lord says, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. God knows when we need to hear from him. He knows when we're sincere. He knows our hearts. Yesterday, William and I had the privilege of working with some of the academy students who are soccer players, and we were talking about this. It's not about our words. It's not about the outward. It's about our hearts. It's about the inward. God will hear our prayers and hear our call. In 1987, Ruthie and I, with our two-year-old daughter, got in the moving vehicle and drove from Tacoma, Washington, down to Los Angeles to pursue the vision that God had put on our hearts to plant a football ministry in Europe, ended up being in England. We were working with Tim Conrad again and Missionary Athletes International. During the three years of preparation to move to England, I was recruiting, fundraising, planning, praying, but also taking classes at Fuller Seminary up in Pasadena. And there were times when Ruthie and I thought, what are we doing? There were five other couples, young couples, that had decided to join us. That didn't really help. That just made us more nervous because now we were leading a group of people into what? We thought, what if this is a huge failure? I mean, what a crazy idea. A bunch of American missionary soccer players going to England to teach them to do football ministry? I mean, it, it, <laughs> thinking back about it, I, I mean, you know, you're, you're in the midst of it. You don't realize how, how dumb and how stupid it seems. But later on, you look back and you go, man, the Lord had his hand somehow on us. Um, on top of that, I'd written a long letter and a proposal to Christians in Sport based in Oxford. And, of course, Oxford is Oxford. Um, and uh, the letter said, we will not come to England, even though we believe God wants us to come to England, we will not come to England unless we receive a written invitation from your ministry and your blessing because we don't just want to move in as another sports ministry into your country without your blessing. I was thinking, what, what are the chances that they're going to say yes? That's a whole other story. I won't get into that one. But doubt began to grip my, my heart, and I was one day sitting in the Fuller Library, feeling very insignificant, not knowing what I was doing in that library, I was thinking, I'm just a missionary kid from Haiti, still trying to adjust to North American culture. And the Lord knew that I needed some help. I needed some encouragement on that day. The library had a high ceiling like this, and on the second level all the way around were paintings of past faculty and different important people in the, in the um, seminary. And in the, in the middle on the far wall, 
centered, very centered, was who I assumed to be the painting of Charles Fuller, the founder of the school. And I got up and wandered around looking at the different paintings, and I got down to that particular painting, and uh, I looked up. In the lower right-hand corner, I saw the signature of the artist, and my heart just jumped. I, I couldn't believe it. It was my grandfather. And my mind was just flooded with all kinds of thoughts then about the fact that he had painted the founder of this school. And I just suddenly realized, God, you are awesome. You are awesome. You, you go before us. You are with us. And, and just suddenly I didn't worry. The worry left. An ambassador for Christ is called and committed, but also an ambassador for Christ makes the message the main thing and the method is secondary. Our pastor in Cleveland, where Ruthie and I have attended for a number of years and where William also attends, is Alistair Bagg, Truth for Life Ministries. Alistair loves to say this saying, and it's great, the main things are the plain things and the plain things are the main things. He says that. And, and the importance is the message. The method serves the message. David Keller, one of our global board members, who's up in Winnipeg, Manitoba, and, and travels half the year to Rwanda to minister. You can guess which half of the year he goes there, um, out of Winnipeg. Uh, but he introduced us to this denomination, this church down there in Rwanda, that was planted by missionaries 100 years ago. And the missionaries brought the gospel, but they brought a lot of their own culture with them. And some of that culture still remains today in the church. It's, it's peripheral. It's not the main things. It's more of the not main things. And David has a way of, of addressing the leadership of this denomination of two million members. When he, when he wants to question something, he says this. Where do you find that in the Bible? It's easy for us to lose our focus and miss the opportunity to present the message of the gospel. But it's also difficult when meeting new people to go directly to the gospel. Generally, we don't just show up and just start preaching to people. Not, not typically a good thing to do. So Paul made it his goal to try to understand the culture and how those who, who we wanted to reach were thinking. And we, we, we know the different examples um, he would look for a way to reach into people's lives. In Athens, he talked about the unknown God. He would go into the marketplace, which is an acceptable venue, place to present new ideas and things. He, he was a strategist. He didn't just, just go in without thinking. Paul would use any means possible to share the good news. Since 1990, when we moved to England, starting Ambassadors Football, we've been using this growing language of football, spoken in 211 countries around the world by FIFA countries. And one of the things that's surprising is after the, you talk about the popularity of soccer and football, is you'd think, well, it's reached its pinnacle, it's reached its peak. But in recent years, India, I was talking to a cricket player, a Christian cricket player there, he was saying in five to 10 years, Soccer is going to pass cricket in popularity. I was like, is that possible? It's like, it, it's catching on. It's, it's amazing. And in China, um, they, they want to win a World Cup. 
and they've set a goal to win a World Cup. It's, it's a ways off a bit, but, but, but there's a, a real desire to excel in these countries of a billion plus people. Football is a global passport, and you can't be sure, sure who you're gonna meet when you go into a country to meet the general secretary or the president of the federation. In Afghanistan, when we went there, it was the general who was first into Kabul. He declared himself head of the Olympic Committee and head of, head of the Soccer Federation. In 1998, Brian Davison, teammate here at Houghton and I, um, went over to the Middle East. Brian asked me to help set up a tour for the Charlotte Eagles that he, that he started. So Brian and I flew over to Israel and we rented a car and drove to the Erez checkpoint. On, on the side we were on were the Israelis, the soldiers with their guns. On the far side down the road, about 100 yards, the one-lane road, uh, was the Palestinians with their guns. And they said to us, take your passports in your hand, nothing else, and, and walk down that road. But do not go off that road. Do not step anywhere off that road, or <laughs> you won't be coming back. So we, we did that, we walked across, and it was interesting walking across, you realize in no man's land there that, that there's actually a war going on, and this is one little spot that they've decided to stop the war for a period of time, and, and, and so you can hopefully have safe passage across. Well, we got over there, and they were waiting for us. They drove us to Gaza City, we entered a compound, it looked like a military compound, and later we found out that most people that went in there did not come out. Of course, we were going in there to meet the president of the Football Federation. What we didn't realize, we were also meeting with the chief of intelligence of Gaza. And we were there for three days when we took the team back. A large contingent of armed guards were always on duty with us. And we didn't know it when we set up the tour six weeks before but the timing of our visit was such that it, it couldn't have been any, it, it, was, it was somewhat miraculous because our security was so tight for those three days, I'd never seen anything like it. I mean, they did not want anything bad to happen to our team. On the third day as we were driving out of Gaza, black SUV, uh, Chevrolet SUVs were piling in. We were saying, what is that? Oh. Bill and Hillary are coming here to inaugurate the airport. This is like 98. And you know, you, you, you can't put all this together, but you just wonder how God protects you, how God uses circumstances to protect you. And uh, at the dinner, I sat next to the chief of police of Gaza and the, the chief of intelligence, and we had 90 packages wrapped in Christmas paper that we gave out with the Jesus film and the gospel. And I had one left over, and there was a little boy outside the stadium. We, are, we were in a hotel in the stadium, and I, I, I handed him this package, and he said, Isa. This little boy knew right what was in that package. Jesus was in that package. Football takes us to places where God wants us to be. But strategies have changed over the years. A lot of what we did in initial years was evangelism, preaching the gospel in places where missionaries, a lot of missionaries couldn't go. We could get in the door through football. But strategies began to change. In the 80s and 90s, 
we sent out multiple teams to a country in Asia where we, we had to be very sensitive when speaking about our faith. Initially, we worked with missionaries to communicate the gospel, and their strategy was don't talk. We're going to print up 100,000 leaflets. You're going to pass them out at the games, and, and, and they're going to write in for Bible correspondence courses, and that's how we're going to connect with the people. In that same country, a few years later, we worked with the national church. And the head of the national church said, we have a strategy for the north of this country. We are going to plant 400 churches up there. And you guys are going to be our first strategy into that area. You guys are going to be helping to break up the ground, turn up the, turn up the soil, and, and, and so that we can plant in that area. So the strategy that I heard him saying made me a little bit uneasy. He said, when you go to the north, you are to play state teams. Because if you play a state team, all the government officials will come out, all the military will come out, you'll have security, and, and everything will be okay. I said, well, will there be many people there? He said, oh yeah, you'll have thousands and thousands of people there. He said, what I want you to do at halftime is have one of your players, one of your people share a testimony. But don't give an invitation. Just share your faith and talk about Jesus. I said to this national leader, are you coming with us? His answer was no. I got a little bit more nervous. I said, what will they do? He said, they won't kill you. In the second half of one of our games, our goalie later told us, he said, I was getting pelted with little rocks. The whole second half. Not rocks big enough to, to cut him, to, to, to bruise him, but, but, but enough to, for him to know that he was being belted by little rocks. But God protected us. The church's strategy around the world also has seemed to, to change. When you sent me out 40 years plus ago to go out into ministry, I felt that the church was behind me, but, but what, what I was doing was something sort of out there. The world has changed, and now we're sensing that the church is, is saying, we need to be involved in learning how to reach out to our communities through whatever means we can. And maybe soccer is one of the means. Maybe it is one of the ways to, to reach out. Ambassadors football, as, it, as was said, is in 30 plus countries. And we've trained in the last 15 to 20 years more than 5,000 coaches from more than 60 countries. But that is a drop in the bucket. That is nothing. And our capacity as an organization to, to, to see the job done is, is not, we're not even on the radar. There's a billion children six to 12 years of age in the world today growing up without a biblical worldview. And we realize that the only possible strategy to accomplishing the goal of evangelizing and discipling this new generation is to mobilize the global body of Christ. How, why do we realize that? Why are we thinking that way? I met a man in 2014 in Brussels airport, that David Keller I was telling you about. 
And we prayed at lunchtime. He came back that evening. He said, the head of the church wants you to come and visit in Rwanda. I said, that's nice. We're already in more countries than, than we know what to do with. He said, no, no, you need to consider this. He wrote me an email three months later. I didn't answer his email. Didn't want to answer his email. He wrote me a very terse email and said, we prayed together. Are you a serious person or not? Are you? <laughs> he called me out. And so I sent 20 of the most difficult questions I could to this Pentecostal Church of Rwanda, this denomination. Are you willing to work with other evangelicals? Are you willing to contribute finance to this project? You know, just, I thought these are the kind of questions that they won't really be that eager to answer. Three months went by, and there it was, all the answers. I knew then I was in trouble. The strategy through Rwanda opened our eyes to something very different. Today, 5,000 boys and girls from 50 primary schools are playing soccer and memorizing the Word of God every Saturday for nine months out of the year. Even during the pandemic, they were not allowed to play soccer, but they could come together to memorize the Word of God, and they did that. Why did we choose to work with the six to 12 year olds? Well, that's a whole nother message which I won't preach today, but Deuteronomy chapter six explains how parents are to train up their children. And if you read it, it's, 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 it's I don't say revolutionary, but it's, it's, it's astounding when you read what it's saying there. How and when and where do we train up the children? And we realized that this country of Rwanda, one of the most Christian countries in the world, in 1994, in 100 days, saw close to a million people killed in that country. A Christian nation. What does the word Christian even mean? So given the opportunity to come in with any strategy, the church said, just come in and teach us soccer. I, mean, I think they thought we were going to have men's leagues and different stuff, but, but no. We came in to teach the new generation, to develop a biblical worldview in the hearts and minds of kids from an early age. Four to five years ago, I mean, it was about five years ago, we held our first national tournament. So the kids, for most of the year, they're just at their schools, every Saturday for two hours during the program. And then as we get closer to the end of the year, they have some regional games and there's a competition, a national competition. We bring them to the capital city, the finalists, the girls finals and the boys finals. We get a girls champion and a boys champion. Well, I was leaving the country a few days after and the gentleman in immigration in Kigali swiped my passport and he said, so Mr. Orlip, are you a pastor or are you a coach? I thought, what kind of a question is that? My mind raced in terms of what that meant. It was, it was denied, or I don't know what, I, don't, I wasn't sure what. But the, his, his, his comrade next to him said, don't, don't be worried. We saw the news on, on the TV the other night, and uh, we saw 
what, what he was describing was we saw the children with tears in their eyes because they lost the tournament reciting their favorite Bible verse on national television. We think what you're doing in, this, in our country is wonderful. Please come back soon. In 40 years of ministry, traveling all over the world, never heard something like that. Never. Paul's passion was for those who don't know Jesus. And it led him to say, I have become all things to all men, so that by all possible means some might be saved. It led him to say, so long as Christ is preached, whatever you do, do with all your heart for the glory of God. Being Christ's ambassadors is not dependent on what we do or where we do our work. An ambassador for Christ makes the message the main thing and the method is secondary. Last but not least, an ambassador for Christ lives a life in which Jesus can be seen. In which Jesus can be seen. Paul says that it's as though God were making his appeal through us. As ambassadors, we stand as the resident representatives of Jesus in the world today. We are his ambassadors. A true ambassador not only talks like Jesus, but also walks like Jesus. A friend of mine in the Cleveland area, his name is Jeff, said, John, can you explain something to me? I said, what is it, Jeff? He said, there's a gentleman who's one of the trustees, and, and he, I, he's a Christian. His, his office is full of all kinds of Bible things. and different, he, I, I know he's a Christian, but he's trying to put me out of business. He's just constantly attacking me all the time. He said, can you explain that? I said, no, I can't. Paul the man who was driven to get the job done was now more patient and more compassionate. The man who wasn't ready to give John Mark a second chance on the second journey wrote 1 Corinthians 13, explaining to us what love is. Paul is becoming more like Christ with each year passing by. And Paul has his testimony written on his body with the many scars he endured. I was near Heathrow Airport in London having breakfast with the managing director of a trust that supported a lot of different mission organizations. And he asked me a question. He said, John, what's your greatest challenge? I thought, and I didn't want to answer the way I did, but, but I had to. I said, you know, my greatest challenge really every day is, is me. Is me. Living a life that's obedient to Christ and doing what God's called me to do. Probably not the answer he was expecting. Definitely not the answer if funds, raising funds was what I was trying to accomplish. Words are easy to speak, but living a life of integrity that pleases God 
and represents Christ as his ambassador is not. Dying to self each day so that Jesus can live through me is not easy. When a soccer team or another team plays a big match, it's a test. It's a test to see what the team is made of. Is the team going to stand firm? Is the team going to fold? We were just over in Liberia a couple weeks, and uh, we took a ladies' team over there, played against the national team, and uh, there were moments when in the game it looked like the teams were even. But then, then the ladies from the States continued to, to pound away and, uh, and, and won, won a couple games there against the Liberian national team, women's national team. It was a test. It was a test. An ambassador for Christ represents Jesus in the world boldly, humbly, patiently, gently, truthfully, and in, in a way that always others can see the love of Jesus. But I think the real challenge is what do we do when we have power? What, what does the church do when, we, when it has power? When we have the right to do whatever we think we, we have the right to do. If we're ambassadors like Paul, we don't want to do anything to cause people to turn away from Jesus. How did Jesus exercise power that he had at his disposal? You know, when we look at Paul's life, we see that the weaker Paul became as a man, the more Christ appeared in him, like John the Baptist, who diminished and Christ became more. But what about when we, the church, have power, money, influence? Do we use it to do the will of God? When mountains need to be moved, do we just go hire some bulldozers or do we pray? One of the great challenges, I think, of Christian organizations and, and churches, particularly in the West, is two words, we can. Those are dangerous words, we can. When we don't think we need to pray and look for God, to God for answers, for direction, for wisdom, because our influence, power, money can get it done, and it's our right, we can. But the answer, the question really is, should we? I don't have the answer because it isn't that simple. But it is the Lord who examines our hearts. He is the judge we are not to judge. Again, the question, how did Jesus use his power? He healed, he fed, he served. Power was used for good, for the glory of the Father. The decisions I look back upon with the greatest regret are decisions where I exercise power and in the process hurt other people. Zechariah 4 says, not by might or by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. That applies to the temple that Zerubbabel was building. But it also applies to the church today. Not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. An ambassador for Christ is called and committed. An ambassador for Christ makes the message the main thing. An ambassador for Christ lives a life in which Jesus can be seen. I pray that Christ will be seen in my life and in your life more and more as his ambassadors.
Jesus said, let me give you a new command. Love one another. In the same way I loved you, you love one another. This is how everyone will recognize that you are my disciples when they see the love you have for each other. Father, thank you for your word. I pray that you would help us to be doers of your word, to apply it, Lord, as your Holy Spirit leads us. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.